five lines. Music guitar tabs. <laughs> and then, oh, so you could read music. Then there's five guitar strings and there's five lines on a staff. <laughs> yeah, this is weird, man. We haven't podcasted in so long. I know it's, it's the elephant in the room. We've we've been on a hiatus. Life got busy. Life got and, really busy, and then it kicked us in the butt with illnesses. Yeah, that's true. Illnesses that I wouldn't wish on my worst enemies. Yeah, I mean, some of I I think I spent a good four weeks just trying to recover from one illness. Wow. I, I didn't mean, have anything like that, but I did have, well, I did have a cold last week, but then there was the whole stomach thing, which only lasted a couple of days, but it was the most intense illness I think I've ever had. Deathbed feeling type thing. Yeah. And I just, I won't go into details. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, man, where, so where do we start? I mean, so we've, we haven't recorded in a couple of months, like a million things have happened. I have no idea. I mean, I've just, I've taken a ton of notes, but it's just too much and too much is, I mean, what, I guess we pick what stands out most because everything else people are probably already tired of hearing about or talking about. There's always, there's always Dreamforce coming up. Yeah. We haven't talked about that. I haven't bothered you about that. No. And we, we said we were going to go, but now we're, we're at on the heels of, uh, Actually, don't we have to buy tickets by tomorrow or something before they skyrocket? I think so. Well, there's supposedly, there's a couple of like discount things that you can get that I don't think are, I don't think go away when early bird goes away. So I think we can still get tickets, you know, under a thousand bucks, probably. Um, The big issue is probably flights and hotel. Yep. So I think we'd have to book a room really soon. In fact, I think the hotels are they're already booked. So I think we're looking at Airbnb. I've already looked, there's quite a bit of stuff still available, but I think we we need to get something really soon. Mm. Uh, yeah. You can, and are we talking like full keynote or we talk, or I mean, are we just talking just keynote or are we talking full out sessions and everything? I don't know. I mean, I've never been, so you know, what do you think since you've been, I've been numerous times. I don't know. The the keynote is, is is obviously something we'll probably have to do when we're there. Not probably. We will have to do. But I guess the sessions are pretty good too. I mean, some of them are good, some of them are bad. It's kinda of hit or miss, but it's I think that kind of experience of seeing what they discuss in those and what you kind of get out of it, what you don't get out of it, um what how it's described and then what you actually get when you get there. It's kind of good to have that perspective, I think. I mean, to me, I'm almost kind of, I read the descriptions of all the, the sessions and I kind of, I kind of have to try to read between the lines of, well, what is this really going to be about? Is Yes, this says advanced developer topics in, but it, you know, there's no real prerequisites here and it's probably going to cater to the lowest common denominator. Yeah. And the, um, I think they always do sessions for like Salesforce's internal engineering, just if you want to learn those I find valuable where you can actually get in front of some of the guys that are actually building this stuff. Um, they usually don't get that much time to speak, but the ones that I've been to have been pretty valuable at least. And for me, those are far more interesting. I mean, I'm just not as interested in, you know, the Mickey mouse tools and technologies that Salesforce makes available to the CRM developers. Those are kind of boring and not great. Just not that interested. I mean, I do work with them cause I have to, but you know, they're, Overall, it's pretty simple and limited, so I don't really care as much about that. I'm way more interested in, you know, what Salesforce is doing under the hood. 
Yeah, and those are I think those I think are far and few between. I mean, a lot of it, especially the developer tracks, you have to be careful because they, you know, how, who they consider a developer is pretty generic. You know, it's an admin for the most part can be considered a developer. So, so you kind of have to really kind of read the descriptions and judge if you're really going to get some advanced topics covered or if it's still going to be you know a lot of point and click stuff. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, if we're gonna go. It might make sense to, so if we don't do sessions, then the ticket's a lot cheaper. Is that what you're, is that the point? Yeah. You can get a keynote thing and you might not even get in the main room when you do that. They have like all these kind of satellite locations where you can watch a a live feed of the keynote. And I think that's probably where you'll end up if we just do keynote. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to crowd into um, the room with all the lemmings. Um, yeah. I mean, that's where I'm always at every time I've gone to one and seen the keynote. Um, last time I, I was way back, I was in the very back. Um, so I ended up watching the screens up because in that keynote, it's a huge room. And then they got screens periodically throughout the room all the way to the back. And so that's what I ended up watching uh, anyway. So, and there's, there's really nothing special about being in the big room. It's not like you get a parting gift or anything like that, or, you know, Everyone look under your chairs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Of course, I'll do that, and that'll be the year, you know, everyone listen to their chairs and gets a new car or something. I don't know. No, it'll be a pair of those cloud <laughs> shoes. Oh, the shoes. <laughs> I'm sure we'll see a few <clears throat> few people rocking some shoes this year. Or maybe a, a sassy keychain. Sassy keychain. Uh, maybe like a uh, a one gig USB stick with the uh, no software <laughs> logo, because Salesforce is not software. Salesforce swag is kind of hit and miss. I mean, one year we got some pretty cool shirts that I still wear to this day. I mean, it's more of a night shirt now or anything, but it's really good quality. And then there was no shorts. And then there's like, there's always some kind of bag, but the bag I usually end up giving to someone else. Um, just cause I have bags. I don't have really have a need for another bag, but while you're there, it's kind of nice to have the bag to put your stuff in. Yeah. But I come with a bag cause I usually come with some kind of electronic device, whether it's a notebook or my iPad in an attempt to take notes. So yeah, I was looking at Airbnb and there are um, several availabilities like um, fairly close to uh, Moscone may still be kind of like cab distance, but it's like, it'd be a cheap cab ride pretty, pretty quick. Tony, we should stay in wine country and just (laughs) find a way to get down. That would be, that would be hard though. I know. We'd be spending a lot of time commuting because I think you, I think one of the best ways to get up there is to take that, the ferry or I don't know if it's a ferry or what, I don't know what they call it. Just like a big commuter boat that runs from San Francisco up through like San Pablo Bay up to like just kind of the bottom of like Sonoma and Napa. We could just find a bunch of people that we know that are going up there and crash with them. <laughs> It'd just be total tools. And you know, place to stay, I'll stay with you. <laughs> It's funny because when you read these Airbnb listings, I mean, a lot of them are like one I was looking at, it's a guy, he's got like a three bedroom apartment and, or a condo or something. And, you know, he has one room that he lives in and he just constantly rents the other two out. And, um, he makes you breakfast every morning. (laughs) Like it's, it's weird. You're just living in some dude's house, but I see, I'm kind of phobic about that kind of stuff. So I'm not, I'm not sure how I'd feel about that. I I would be totally fine with that. I mean, you know, you could read the the reviews. Like these people have 
uh, track records, you know, mm. and like everyone was just like a lot of them. I mean, at least I think the people that are successful at it, I mean, they just have, um, everyone leaves, you know, a review and just, mm-hmm. you know, people were just saying how awesome this guy was and the place was great and he was really accommodating. And I mean, I, you know, if you, if you want to go, that's pretty much your only option at this point, unless you want to stay really far away from the, from the, uh, from San Francisco. Yeah. And then you'd have to rent a car and then you have to find parking, which I don't yep. even know how you no, would deal with that. I, I will not have a car without a doubt. Not a chance. Well, interesting. I haven't heard anything about any kind of hackathon. Are they skipping it this year? I don't know. I mean, they probably will have one. I doubt they'll, if they do, I'm, you know, I doubt they'll do the big contest again or the big prize, maybe smaller prizes or something. Well, I know for some of the Salesforce one events that they're holding right now and some developer kind of session or I guess, I guess conferences, smaller conferences that they're doing kind of hackathon type deals there. But I haven't seen anything even relating to even small time, you know, contests. Yeah, I've seen no announcement. I wonder if they're just going to skip it this year. They spent last this year's prize money last year to placate the second place. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, the million dollars they were going to use for this year's prize, they had to use last year because yeah. they doubled the doubled the prize, right? Yeah, that's right. Oh, so what's the, what, what big news have, have we missed? There's the, I guess the Microsoft deal, right? That's new. I mean, it's old now, but we didn't really talk about it. Refresh my memory. So Salesforce and Microsoft made a deal to, um, uh, what was it? It was to, it was for Salesforce to be able to integrate or maybe, maybe, um, Microsoft is doing this, but basically to integrate uh, Office 360 really tightly with Salesforce, kind of like how Google Docs is. Hmm. I hadn't heard and, that one. Yeah, uh, really? Oh my gosh. I was under my rock for that one. Yeah, there's, I mean, I have at least 20 different articles, and but um, Salesforce also agreed. Um, it's kind of, it seemed kind of unilateral at first, but I guess Salesforce agreed to um, use Azure for some things, not, you know, Salesforce isn't going to run on Azure, but... Um, and they agreed to use it for a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Of course, it it pissed off a lot of like Microsoft Dynamics resellers because one of the one of the big selling points of Dynamics CRM is that it's tightly, really tightly integrated with Office and Office three sixty five, and Salesforce hasn't been. So that's been a big selling point of Dyna- of Microsoft CRM and Dynamics, I guess. And so now, my, now Salesforce is going to have really tight integration with Office. So they're not happy about that, but I guess that's to be expected. What are you going to do? Yeah. Well, I don't have much either. I mean, we, we talked last time about the Salesforce tower, but it's not going to be the only tower I found out. So there's a, they have a building out in London um, that they're going to rename the building to Salesforce tower. I mean, there's a lot of things I think we could talk about. I mean, we've got wearables. I mean, I think, I think that's going to be a big thing with Salesforce this year. I mean, we kind of mentioned oh, yeah, so a little that, bit about that around lunch. Yeah, that, that's, uh, that's new. Um, although I don't, did you, I mean, did you, have you looked at any of that stuff or? No. I haven't either. I mean, I just. I'm not bought onto the whole wearable thing. I mean, I think for medical applications, it has a, a pretty good thing, you know, health and fitness and, but I have, I have a hard time believing it's going to be valuable for anything else. Maybe that's just my short sightedness. Well, and I just. I haven't thought about it enough and maybe there's just not enough 
there hasn't been enough real world um, use cases out there yet. But I, it's hard for me to understand what, how, you know, where the hype ends and where practical use cases begin. Yeah, pra- um, practicality is probably the key there. I mean, just, I mean, the random enterprise just sticking you with some wearable just to know where you're at or something like that. That just, that seems like people will just kind of revolt. Or at least I would revolt against that kind of thing. Just this kind of black box tattler that you're wearing constantly just to see what you're doing and how productive you are. But I think for like industries that maybe have high risk, you know, maybe they've got some kind of radiation monitor or something like that. Those type of wearables do exist already, but maybe they'll be far more integrated with some system for monitoring. I don't know. And then you've got your health devices and things like that. But beyond that, I can't see what enterprise would use wearables for. Me neither. I, some, and the cynical side of me, you know, thinks that maybe this is just Salesforce trying to keep that perception alive that they're on the edge of whatever's the hottest thing, whether it's, remember it was social and then well, it's not you know, inter- internet I, of, no, yeah, that it is. I mean, the internet of things, right? The internet of customers, just, you know, the fact that, you know, we're all little children. We don't know how, we don't know when to go to the dentist. We have to have our toothbrush tell us that. <laughs> well, well that, and, and who knows how much of it is going to be just a way for dentists to make more money. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it, it, we're going to get warned that we haven't brushed our teeth in two days and we're going to have to go in and, and pay our copay or whatever just to go in and take our lickings. Yeah, I don't know. But uh, yeah, that's what, to me, that's kind of how I see this. Is just, I don't know that there's, again, there's a lot of practicality with what they've announced. Um, I mean, one of, the, one of the devices is, well, most of the devices aren't even generally available yet. So it's either Salesforce being, you know, ahead of the time and leaders, or it's just them trying to, again, have that perception that they're doing something that you should care about and you're scared not to care about. So you better go to Dreamforce and learn more about it. (laughs) I think as, as a whole, I mean, the whole internet of things and wearables, just a part of me just doesn't really see that, you know, how it's going to enrich my life in any other way. And maybe the younger generation will see it since, I mean, I don't know what to call the next generation, but maybe it's generation overshare because they share everything. Everything little thing they do is goes on Twitter, goes on Instagram, goes on Facebook. And if, if, if internet of things takes off, then every little thing they do, every brush, every bandaid they use, everything will be published online automatically. Yeah. Although I, I'm, I would think that Salesforce is thinking more in terms of, you know, business use cases. I don't, I mean, Sure, there is going to be. Now, yeah, and I'm coming at it from just a, a general perspective of just the Internet of Things in general. Because it's not just Salesforce trying to get that market. Hey, whatever happened to your milk being able to order, or your refrigerator being able to order milk for you? Yeah. They've been talking about that for 20 years. Whatever happened to groceries just being delivered? I mean, even just that. I mean, I can't go to a website and order groceries and have it delivered. Unless you're like in a major city like San Francisco or something. That would be... Pretty awesome to have groceries delivered. I mean, some cities have that, right? Yeah, I mean, major cities, and usually it's it's a matter of proximity and all that kind of stuff. But but I, what I'm talking about is your refrigerator knowing what it's low on. That would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, what if one day I just I just pop in? Some, well, I guess you'd have to program it to tell it what to reorder. I was going to say, what if I just, I had some ice cream and it was a one-time deal. And now all of a sudden my freezer is filled with ice cream because it thinks I need it. Well, like it should learn like what you have regularly. I don't want it to learn that I eat that much ice cream. Well, 
<laughs> Is it going to post? Hey, John's been eating like a gallon a day. <laughs> Someone check on him. He had a bad breakup or something. Okay. So that, that's another point about having like the internet of things. If everything out there is like collect has sensors on it and an, and an IP address, especially as we go to IPv6 and there's like no limits on no practical limits on IP addresses anymore. Um, yeah. Yeah. This, the hacking opportunities, right? I mean, <laughs> these, uh, there's a million different little things with all these sensors that have all this data about you. It's just, it's prime hacking material. It is. It is. It's, it's a foot in the door. It's, it's another device that can be compromised and could potentially gain access to other parts of your network. I can't even have a, I can't even have a VPS that doesn't get hacked at least once every six months. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't allow logging in with a password SSH key only. I'll tell you what I do need. Not just a refrigerator that orders for me, but I need a, I need a liquor cabinet that orders for me too. I've, oh, I've been dry on that's on what whiskey. I need. That would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's what I need. Does anybody really need that? I mean, come on. I, I do. <laughs> And again, if you could pair that with the whole like delivery to your house automatically, that would be great. That would enable ultimate alcoholism. Well, I remember seeing some of those old um, kind of reels that show kind of what the home of the future is going to be like. And they have like these self, you know, these ovens that can basically you just put the meal there and then all of a sudden it starts on its own and cooking it and everything. And you can watch it from remotely or whatever. Or you had like all these different features of your fridge that have all these different types of technology for like preserving fruits or maybe even growing fruits in your fridge and all those kind of things. I have yet to see any of that. Yeah. It's all bullcrap. Hey, flying uh, cars. Th- We're supposed to have flying cars soon next year. Right. According to back to the future. Um, n- well, they, I did hear some stuff about flying cars about a month ago. Like they're working on some flying cars, but who knows? I mean, that's never going to happen. Not in my lifetime. I don't know that flying cars are practical. Um, did, did we ever talk about the, um, what is it? Mark Benioff's, uh, public shaming school of philanthropy. I don't, I don't remember if that was a podcast episode or if that was just us being started to tell. Yeah, there was a, there was like a gawker or valley wag. I remember, uh, I remember I was talking about, about it. I just don't know the forum. I don't remember the forum. Yeah, I grabbed a couple of uh, snippets. Um, uh, so in case you missed all the glowing profiles of Salesforce CEO Mark Benioff this week, the professional or the billionaire's philanthropic efforts have crowned him the most influential man in San Francisco, and he's wielding that influence to shame his rich friends into giving back. <laughs> the funny thing was uh, that I noticed is like, I don't know where it, uh, it's in here somewhere, but basically, so he's, he's calling up like all the CEOs of the tech companies around San Francisco. And telling them, hey, you know, you need to you need to give to my charity or whatever. <clears throat> and so, so of course, you know, Mark Benioff is the guy that like no one will take a call from nowadays. Like, you know, that's what you tell your reception. Say, hey, if Mark calls, uh, I'm not here. <laughs> so that's apply to Gates because Gates does the same thing, doesn't he? he no, Gates and, gives his own money. I no, mean, he's no, got, he's, he's got he plenty of a, his own money. He's part of this group of billionaires that that basically goes out and commits that once they that's die, they're going to give everything. All right, that's when they yeah. die. That. But they're now Mark's going out, going out, going around and saying, Hey, you, you know, give money now. But he did, uh, he raised like, I don't know, it was like seven or eight million dollars from a few different companies. But the ones that didn't, he, um, the, you know, they didn't want to give money or were unable to. Maybe they're actually looking out for their share, shareholders' value. Uh, 
and giving in other ways, but those don't count for Mark. Those aren't good enough. Um, Mark, <laughs> Mark told uh, this reporter, he's like that he, he asks these people that, that can't, that can't give at least right now. He asks them, well, you know, is it, are you okay with me going public with that, that, you know, you're refusing to give. And that, that's the whole shaming thing. Like he's, he's basically threatening to like out companies and CEOs that for whatever reason don't want to, or can't get on board with this program right now. You're saying you got a clip of this? No, no, it's just, oh, okay. um, just yeah, it's, um, yeah, he, uh, let's, let's see if I can find it. Um, that just doesn't seem right. Like I, I can't tell if that's a factual oh, he, event sorry. that he, so, that so he, here's the quote. Many people have turned me down. Benioff acknowledged. My reaction is, can I quote you in the press on that comment? If that's a quote, man, that's, that's kind of, that's being a bully, man. Yeah. That was in, um, I thought we were anti-bully here in this country. That was in like the business, San Francisco business journal. Can't remember. Um, yeah, no, he totally, that's why he's like, that's why his nickname now is the shamer in chief. Well, we've talked about how the one, one, one model has been changing in terminology. Oh yeah. It used to be, um, uh, what was it? Profit, um, equity and time. And number one, the interest, one interesting thing is go to, uh, Salesforce foundation's website. And of course they talk about the model, right? It's almost like, sounds like an Amway pitch, the, the program or the, whatever the one, one, one. But nowhere, at least that I could find on that web, website, does it actually define what the model is? It talks about one, you know, it has one colon, one colon, one in the model, but it actually never defines it. But what, what you're alluding to is that we've, we've heard Mark slowly morph it from profit, equity, and time to product, equity, and time. So profit has changed to product. And maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's like Mark's way of saying, hey, well, we, you know, we don't have any profit to give. But we still want to we still want to give whatever that would have been or, or some or what we can. Right. So let's give some of our product. Whatever that means. <clears throat> yeah. It's, it's kind so of it's, a double edged sword because it seems like Benioff has kind of been a tool in some of his ways of trying to get people to, to donate more. But on the other side of it, he's been extremely generous with his personal money. So no, he is. He's like, he's like, you know, you're the, the rich uncle who is just a total like, oaf. I mean, he's, he's, he's definitely philanthropic, but he's also a jerk a lot of times about it. Um, and for being, for being someone who's so, uh, insistent that you join his program. It's funny how he's okay. He, he's that, what that program is, is a, is a tough to nail down thing. Like there's not even a solid definition of an, and apparently the definition seems to be changing as it is convenient for Mark Benioff. I think what distracts from it is probably just, it, it seems like ego is getting in there that it's not just, you know, just being generous and, and doing the right thing that a part of it is, is a lot, is a lot fed by the ego. No. And the thing that opens him up for criticism, the biggest thing is that he is so critical of the way other people have given, you know, when he was criticizing Gates, for how he give, how he gave. Yeah, that it's was like, all about um, not instilling a kind of a one 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 model at Microsoft. That yes, he was he's generous in his personal, and he set up a great foundation, but he didn't instill a culture of charity and within Microsoft. Well, I'm sure mm-hmm. at Dreamforce we'll hear more about the uh, the foundation we do every year, and 
some of it's good and some of it feels like it's a big marketing pitch. So have you ever just, this is a note that I wrote probably months ago, but have you ever run into Salesforce as like optimistic locking, um, like an, an error from it? I have once or twice. Like I saw that, I saw that recently and I think I'd seen it like years ago and just forgot that they do this, but there is some kind of optimistic locking. I don't know that they really document it. Like if you, let's say you're in the, in the browser and you, you know, you're editing a record and you hit edit and you walk away from your computer for a while. In the meantime, someone else modifies that record, right? You come back to your desk, you hit save. It will, you'll get a message. And I don't remember what it was. Well, they, I, I just noticed that they, it's not so much locking, but I did notice that recently, and I'm not sure when this started, because as, as much development and things I do, I don't spend a lot of time day in and day out entering records in Salesforce. But I did notice one time when I was testing that if I ran one of my jobs, but I had the record open in edit mode, and then I just would do a quick change and save it to reset it back to what it was after I ran my, you know, whatever my job doing some functional testing. It would come back and say this record was previously edited by so and so. Yeah, so I mean that that is optimistic locking. Yeah, I just I don't know. I had I just ran across that the other day. For That's the first not time. what I th- what I thought you were talking about. I, okay, I've actually had a few database locks happen. Yeah, it, it, it was a while ago, and it was rare. I think I maybe had it twice come up. We're talking about when you get the message that you know that it couldn't obtain a lock right. on a record. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't know. I mean, it's like, what am I supposed to do about that? I don't think there's anything you can do. I mean, I think it's it's a necessary evil of multi-tenant databases. I don't think it has anything to do with multi-tenant because no other tenants have access to my records. So another tenant can't. Well, I just know, mean, I just mean multiple use multi-users. I mean, it's not just one person entering data. If another person changes a record and you're trying to overwrite their changes, who, who do you pick to win? It's, it, that becomes a manual effort. Well, I guess so. I mean, what's weird is if, if Salesforce does optimistic locking, then you shouldn't get like a failure to obtain a lock. I mean, that's, that's pessimistic locking. That's when it prevents you from getting a, you know, you have to, you have to obtain, obtain a lock. Yeah, but we're not Someone talking else about is, a live application. We're talking about a web page. So I, I, maybe it optimistic locked when I put it in edit mode, but then after a while that lock got released and then I saved it with the other record. And that's when it, when I tried to save again, maybe that's when it came up with that error. Yeah, I guess. I mean, optimistic locks don't actually lo- don't actually put a database lock on though. That's that's the thing. So if you click edit and you load a record, you actually don't have a lock in the database right then. What you'd have is a version stamp um, on that record. And then when then when you do go to save, if something has happened to that record since then, Salesforce will see you know the, or the database or whatever some some layer in the, in the data layer will will see that that. You are you edited a different version than what's the most recent, so it's so it's going to prevent you from saving. Mainly, just so you know that hey, you basically need to refresh that record and then make your edits again. But that's not, you know, that's um, that's optimistic locking. So there's actually not a lock on the record you are on, and so it shouldn't cause some other process to get the message that you cannot, you know, obtain an exclusive lock. So I don't know. It's weird. I I've gotten that. You know, every once in a while I'll see the the message that's unable to obtain a lock and. It's like, what do you do with that? I mean, just rerun your process, I guess. I've even gotten that just doing data loads and stuff. I got to think it's a recent thing. I don't remember it happening previously, but I mean, I, I don't have a problem with the way it's doing it. I think it's, it's okay. I mean, it should be a rare occurrence. So I've had more issues getting debug logs. Just, you know, you set one up and you just, 
you either don't get a log at all because you know the debug logs like they're all temporary you there's you cannot have ongoing log against salesforce so if you say I, I think a lot of it is is that you're expecting the logs to work the way other system logs work and they just no, don't no no i'm expecting it to work in some kind of consistent way so what I'm That's talking what I'm about is it doesn't work that way. <laughs> it's not <laughs> well, consistent. So, well, so I, you know, there's been times when I've called you and said, Hey, what am I doing wrong here? I, here's a log, but there's only three lines in it. And the, ex, you know, like, um, you know, it's like, I'm not getting a stack trace, right? So I'll get a log, but the stack trace won't be there. Right. And like, even you looked at that and said, I have no idea. That's very weird. Like, yeah. Clearly, we, we, I think we ended up implementing <laughs> some new try catch blocks or something that eventually allowed the stack trace to get stuck in there. Yeah. So but, it's just, that, like, there's, there's some level where, Salesforce is still handling the load of the transaction, in which case it's not making it into the log. And then at some point it's allowing your code to actually run, in which case you can start seeing log entries. It's, it's kind of that, that edge of that line where we're It's just really frustrating them. because this is an area that is still to this day remains flaky and they, they'll fix it for a while. And then I don't know if it's the, you know, the same bugs or different ones or whatever that prevent you from getting either being able to get a log or get the right log and and good luck if you're doing something like with communities, uh, getting getting a debug getting logs out of that is basically impossible if it's running. Well, how community. much of it do you think is just the way the system has evolved versus you know something that just it's so ingrained in there that you can't pick it apart and do it better? I, I think it's just flaky software. I don't think I don't think you're not supposed to be able to get a log correctly. I think just. Resources focused on other things just yeah. means that developer tools are going to lag. Well, on some of these things, like a week later or after like, you know, the patch weekend or whenever they think they patch over the weekend, yeah, sometimes it'll just get fixed. I mean, I got to think that the log and everything's got to get better soon because, I mean, they've been putting a lot of attention on that developer console. And I, I know where they're going with that. They're, they're trying to go and make that at some point an IDE of some sort. Titus should just give up and integrate like Adam, Adam into it or something. It's just, I mean, the editor is terrible. It's, it's terrible. Plus it doesn't work half the time. I mean, it just, that thing, that thing has, is so, but it's probably the buggiest part of Salesforce right now is the developer console. Yeah. And it consumes so many resources. It, it doesn't work. It doesn't matter whether I'm using Safari or Chrome. You know, my machine has 16 gigs of RAM. I mean, how much, how much memory do I need for this thing to be able to work right? <laughs> well, your browser is also sand, sandbox with a limited amount, doesn't it? Limited. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, as far as I know, I mean, Chrome can, if it needs to, it'll, it'll start just chomping up gigs of RAM. Hmm. Hey, how's that, uh, Uber credit card thing, John, what was it called? <laughs> coin coin. Uh, it's, it's still stuck in development. They're still beta testing it. I get emails every so often. I'm anxious to see it. They're still saying it's on track for sometime just, September release. Really? I yeah. mean, come on. It feels like, I feel like it's time for us to like, you know, Mark the time on this one. I think it's dead. <laughs> no, they still send status updates. They're still testing it. They're, you know, they're still making sure it works with multiple types of yeah. readers. They're and as soon as they ship it, they're gonna the, the uh, who would it be the F, yeah, FDIC or SEC? Someone's gonna come in and shut them down. I hope not. I hope that, that that all that's been worked out and everyone's aware of it. I mean, it's. I think in the last update, they even talked about how. You know, for those that are out there actually using it and testing it, um, that people are aware of it. And when they see it, you know, they, they're excited to learn more about it. They're excited to, to see it and see it work and all those kind of things. So 
And they've been advertising still. You can still go on sites and every once in a while you'll see the little coin advertisement. So you can Mm -hmm. still get in on it. I don't know, man. What difference at this point does it make? It's dead. Because I want nothing in my wallet. Well, aside from a little emergency cash, but I I would love to just have that one card. It's an interesting idea, but I think... If the government you doesn't should, shut no, them you down, you should be on board. You recently had to buy a wallet, didn't you? Did yeah, you? I'm just saying. If the government doesn't shut them down, though, Visa is going to sue them out of existence. No, we're violating. It's the, not like they're they're taking over the transaction or anything. It's just they're just. No, but I don't think that's. I don't think they have authorization to mimic, you know, a Visa card or something. I mean, they're heavily backed by you know all these kind of funds, not just individuals. And I, I got to think that somewhere someone has done the legal work. And communicating with these guys. I know. You would think so. I don't know. We'll see. Well, let, me know how that, let me know how that works out for you, man. <laughs> uh, I'm excited. I want it. I want it in my hands. I, uh, Financial Forest raised fifty million, another $50 million. Really? I guess that's good. Is Financial Force still fully native? I mean, I got to think that it'd be better for them to kind of you know, implement a canvas style app and run it on Heroku or something. Um, I don't know. I'm sure there are components that run offline batches and, Mm -hmm. you know, things, but, um, my understanding is a lot of it is native. Oh, good for them. I I think, I think Salesforce is still probably helping them fund them and everything. I think, I think Salesforce at some point would like to see that get to a point where they could take it over and offer it as a, I mean, why not? Yeah, so Financial Force, before that, they bought, they've bought a couple of companies, a supply chain management company and some little HCM company. Um, so they're, they're trying to become basically an ERP company. God, can you, could you imagine that ERP software that runs totally on the Apex programming language? <laughs> oh, God, help us. Oh, man. I would love it if, if we got a new language. I mean, I guess... After getting a new language from Apple, I'm like, oh, why, why can't Salesforce do that? Why can't so they I just start from scratch and come up with that? Come out with a kick-ass language like, like uh, Swift. I feel like something's coming, and there's two things that make me think that. One is a buddy of mine, um, who I'll just say has an inside track. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, boy, what can I say? Uh, just indicated that there will be some things that might be interesting for me. And then also, so they recently had that MVP summit and I heard from two or three MVPs who said, who told me that there are going to be specifically things coming up that I will really like. And that's yeah, gotta be you, something. You complain it's gotta be about an, everything. So it could be anything. I know it's yeah, you know, <laughs> it's kind of a shotgun blast. Yeah. It, it could just be, you know, dependent page layouts or something. I don't know. <laughs> oh gosh. But I, I do, I do think we're due for a UI refresh. I said the same thing last year and didn't get it, but I think, I think we're going to get a UI refresh here soon, if not this year, next year. Um, I think it's going to be something to bridge the gap between mobile and the desktop, you know, the actual web application. There's signs of it in the API and, you know, the way the, the visual force has been working that I think are pointing to something happening with the UI. There's some new features with the new remoting objects that are coming out in the next release. Um, I think they're being piloted or beta. I don't think they're going to be GA, but you know, some new features there. Um, they're relaxing a lot of the limits with some of these releases. Um, 
letting you do a lot more processing and things like that, which I think is just driven by mobile. I mean, it's no longer, you know, server-side programming. It's client-side stuff. And it seems like we kind of, history is repeating itself. We went from terminal days where everything was on the server and we just had these dumb terminals to desktop applications to the web where everything's kind of back on a server somewhere being run and processed to now we're kind of trying to hybridize that into client slash server, which is kind of a repeat of history. Mm -hmm. Because I think mobile has shifted things back towards apps. I mean, one of the greatest things about web is just the ease of distribution. And now with, you know, these mobile app stores that Apple and Google and everyone else has, it just makes distribution easy. And as far as like a new, a new UI, I mean, the thing that's just so difficult for Salesforce, just because of their scale and size now is that, you know, if you want to change your UI, I mean, the, the amount of like, I guess just, I don't know if it's considered regression testing or just, you know, testing in general, they have to do across so many customers now and devices and things. Mm -hmm. It makes it really hard to do anything. I mean, it's just like, but it's not impossible. I mean, no, it's I, not impossible. I think they'll just, phase it in. They'll let you opt into it. And I think, I think eventually there'll be of course some. That's hard too. Yeah. That's hard. That's hard to do that. I mean, just, just to engineer that's it, it, again, it sells worse to scale is that's hard. Yeah. But I, I think it just has to happen. I mean, even with OSs, it, it's has, it had to happen. I mean, Apple broke the model when they went to Unix based and, and it just had to happen, you know, I think Microsoft needs to get rid of all of their old APIs and, and move, move forward. I mean, I think that system's bloated enough and that just has to happen. I mean, I think there's never a good time to do it. It's just at some point you just kind of have to take that leap of faith in, in on new technology and, and making things better. Yeah. You can't always placate, you know, keeping everyone happy from 10 years ago. Yep. It's going to be painful. Well, and they really, they, the thing that they're going to have to work on now is making sure they don't start to look like an entrenched enterprise software company. Well, they are. I mean, the UI is and, getting long and, in the tooth. People complain about it. I mean, and, and of course, you know, Salesforce isn't near as bad as something like NetSuite or I'm trying to think of their no, contemporaries. No. Um, uh, what's the HCM Workday? Well, I mean, it's just that's you know for a for a new startup cloud company, Workday looks terrible. I mean, it's just, it's horrible. Salesforce is still, you know, head and shoulders above those guys, but you know, it's, it's one of those things. It's going to be, it's going to be hard, but, um, well, I think a lot of it is just the, just that so many people are out there using so many different pieces of software and they're getting acclimated to using software that works a certain way and does a certain thing. And enterprise traditionally has never kept up with the consumer market in that fashion. It's always kind of been crusty old, whatever works, but I think users and even those that are higher up making business decisions are wanting to see better software. They're not just satisfied with, Oh, it, you can input this data and get this report. Now they want it to be, you know, aesthetically pleasing and easy to use and all those kind of things. Yep. And you know, and the, here's what I've wondered. I mean, is Salesforce still interested in like the small and medium business? Because some of these um, newer CRM systems are just so, I mean, if you really, if core CRM is what you're interested in and, and, particularly like, you know, tracking email and social networks and stuff. Um, man, some of these smaller new CRM systems are really hot. I mean, they're, they're, they're for, they're, I mean, they're for small businesses, you know? Um, but yeah, Salesforce just, I mean, if you're, if you're small, I just don't know that it's the best option. Whereas I think it used to be. So I don't know if they're interested in staying 
in the lead for small and medium business. I mean, they've really just shot for the top. I mean, they're, they've moved up market. I think, I think it's just the nature of, of how things evolve when you get as big as Salesforce. I mean, yeah, you're, it's, you know, when you're young, you cater to the small guys and then you start getting into mid-sized businesses and then you start touching your toes on the enterprise. And then once the enterprise takes off, you know, something's got to give and it's going to be those little guys. I guess so, because, you know, think about it with Salesforce. I mean, even if you buy one of the limited editions, I mean, you're still getting the app exchange marketplace, you're getting visual force, um, and, you know, and they make it actually hard to get like professional edition nowadays. You almost have to get enterprise. Yeah. Um, but you're, so you're getting the whole platform, the whole force.com platform and all, you know, all of its expand, you know, extensibility and all this type of thing. But the downside of that is, you know, a license costs you 1500 bucks a year for, for a user. And a lot of these small CRMs, um, you know, they're more like, a hundred bucks a year or like, look at, you know, look at like Zendesk, right? Zendesk, Zendesk is pretty awesome. Um, and some of the administrative features and just like the interface that not only the, if you're on the, you know, kind of custom, not the customer side, but like the user side of interacting with a Zendesk, mm-hmm. you know, company that's running Zendesk, but I mean, just the, the, the tools the agents use and the manager stuff really nice and slick. And Zendesk is like three or five bucks a user, something like that. Yeah, I mean, it's like Salesforce almost doesn't have an option for small businesses anymore. It's just so much more expensive. You know, they definitely are not, they're definitely not participating in the race to the bottom. And the race <laughs> to the no top. There's no need to. I mean, you know. I'm got- not saying there is. I'm just saying, again, it's like, how do they want to be positioned? Do they, maybe they I think they they've pretty to- much decided that. I mean, they want to be the enterprise CRM. Actually, they want to be the enterprise platform, period. Yeah, right. Well, and when you think it, I mean, they're still called Salesforce. I mean, even that name is becoming more conspicuously limiting. I don't know. I mean, I think, I think as with most things, I mean, you just make the name, whatever, whatever it is. Once you get to a certain critical mass, the name becomes you. I mean, it doesn't really yeah. matter that it doesn't fully represent everything that you do. That's true. But even Apple computer dropped the computer from their name. True. And maybe Salesforce will drop sales and it'll be force. I don't know. Except they've already done away with like force.com and all these other things. They, they don't, they all redirect now. Well, I mean, enterprise is all about business. It's all about, I mean, just about every business has sales. So I don't see how, I don't think sale having sales or even Salesforce is detrimental to them as, as a brand. I don't think so. That's just, you know, it's one of those things I'm sure they talk about, like, is our name pigeonholing us now? Yeah. Is it, you know, is it sending the wrong message? Oh, it's, it I, is. I'm a, sure it, they have plenty of meetings on naming things. Cause it's obvious. Cause they rename something just oh, yeah. about every year. They have at least a few floors of people that are in charge of naming, naming and stuff. renaming things. <laughs> I could use a few floors of, of people naming stuff. I, I have a, such a hard time naming stuff. Mm. Whether it's an application or class names or even variables and method names. I just. Just pick a, pick a random noun out of the dictionary and remove all the vowels from it. Oh yeah, that helps. <laughs> Who knows what you'll get. I also need to be able to type it and remember it, so. Oh, hey, be, so I've got some compiler, you know, end result of a compiler. Can we go back to the Microsoft thing for a second? I don't. So I wanted to prep more since we've had so much time off, but I haven't, haven't really still not, uh, haven't done my homework very well, but you lose, did, sir. Where's my I clip? Did grab a, Where's my clip? Uh, you lose. Ah, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I did grab a clip from of Benioff talking about Microsoft and this was a few years ago. I just wanted to, I thought it was an interesting contrast of 
how he used to feel about Microsoft from, from now. Well, Salesforce.com is an open technology that works on every platform and also interrupts with every service. Unfortunately, Microsoft continues to try to... Wow, that's fast. Well, I was going to say, is that the dude from the Micro Machines commercial? <laughs> Uh, what was his name? It sounded just like him. Open technology that works on every platform and also interrupts with every service. Unfortunately, Microsoft continues to try to control the industry through their proprietary capability. They don't run on the iPhone. They don't run, you know, on these next generation of capabilities. And that's why they just haven't done very well. They, they're still trying to sell us Windows in a world where a door is open to a next generation of computing any day now. Apple's market cap is going to pass Microsoft's. I'm sure you're tracking that. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing. And you want to know why? Because Microsoft has failed on the Internet. Yes, they dominated client-server computing. But when we move from client-server to what we call Cloud 2, which was the Amazon and Yahoo emergence and Google, Microsoft wasn't there. They were, again, trying to talk to us about software plus services or their proprietary technology. And then now when we're moving to Cloud 2 with the iPhone and the iPad and this great new generation of computing, again, Microsoft is trying to hold us back, you know, with their monopoly. Microsoft has failed, and we can go farther. We can go faster, and Steve Jobs has shown us how to do that. Mark Zuckerberg has shown us how to do that. But unfortunately, kind of those status quo companies, they haven't shown us how to do that. I think he's absolutely right on every one of those points. And I congratulate him for being modest and not including himself, but he's, he's been a part of that as well, of that new model. I mean, the writing's on the wall. I mean, who doesn't see how, how Microsoft has failed every step of the way because they're clung to their old models? And, and a lot of industries have done that. I mean, you had the music industry that clung to their models until Apple broke that model. We have the TV industry, the cable industry that's clinging to those models. Well, that's because I, <clears throat> I think it's been Microsoft's job to protect, uh, its biggest job is to protect its existing assets. I mean, when you build up a company that big, that much revenue off of Windows and Office, I mean, that's your number one job is just to preserve that and keep that coming in. And unfortunately, that's it really hamstrings you, it makes it hard to innovate. It makes it hard to decouple business models, right? Yeah, but I'm not so sure that with the choices they've made, I mean, now that Bomber's gone, I don't think that's going to change because the, the hire came from within. You don't think it's you don't think it has been changing though? I mean, I don't know how much you... I, I think they've been playing catch up. I think they've been... Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I agree with that, but... I don't know. I think people are seeing glimmers of hope from what some of the, some of the things that the new CEO has done. Yeah. I guess, I guess me, like everyone else is looking for a, a much bigger shakeup in, in kind of a more real time fashion. I mean, it, it seems like we're continuing every old policy and we're tweaking things here and there. But I mean, if you look at pricing models for things like, for instance, I can't buy a copy of project. I have to go and buy an older version of project because the only way I can get the newest version of project is by buying this new business 365. I can't upgrade or use it on my home 365. I have to go out and get a business 365 account just to get project. Well, that's, that's, a, that's God's way of telling you to not install project. I'm just saying, if I just happen to need it for a project, I was willing to spend the money so it would make my life easier and I could distribute this, this thing that everyone else is using. But it was almost impossible. And the, the last need that, the last thing that, most projects need is a freaking Gantt chart. <laughs> People love their Gantt charts, man. They're, I cannot they're wrong, stand them. They're I hate them. I hate project. I hate that whole style of project management. I hate doing project management, period. It's just abused. Don't and, ask me to do project management. And for most of these like technology projects, particularly like software development ones, I mean, 
you know, CPM and PERT are just the wrong way to measure and track and run a project. And that's just what Microsoft Project is. Wrong tool for the job. Well, they're good. But yeah, people people do love love them some uh, Gantt charts, love them some PowerPoints. I got some data mapping via PowerPoint the other day. Yeah, I've been seeing status updates through PowerPoints. I'm like, really? Oh, yeah. No, I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting those too. And I'm having to make them. I, I just, I don't understand it. I mean, just send me an email with the tasks that are completed and the tasks that are showing up or need to be completed the next week and let's be done with it. I mean, Again, it's someone, just, someone is, is paying for someone to spend that two or three hours it takes to build a PowerPoint. Or someone's doing a lot of cupping and pasting, and you know what happens? The document ends up looking like shit because everyone copy and pasted a bunch of crap. Yeah, and then it gets emailed around, and then versions of it change, and no one knows who has the right version, and no one knows how to merge their changes with someone else's changes. And Well, Jeremy, that's what Google Docs is for, as you told me <laughs> once, once before. <laughs> that's true. That is what it's for. Or, or Office 365. How's my impression? Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's what you I lose! <laughs> Well, I don't have much else that's uh, prepped and I can speak intelligently about. What about you? Uh, just some new release stuff, but I think I kind of touched on some of it, but you're not going to know what I'm talking about anyway, so you'll just go. I'm not. Over it. Yeah, I need to read the, maybe maybe we can plan on next week, like going over like some of the new stuff. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. If, I haven't really heard anything that I thought was great, but. Oh, we have Salesforce one in Dallas this week, and maybe we'll kind of talk about that and everything that's been going on there. Oh, is there like a roadshow thing? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Are you going to that? No, I got work to do. Yeah, go and get some new customers. No, I got work to do. No. <laughs> you don't need new customers. Uh, and, and I don't know. I mean, these events, they seem geared more towards, you know, decision makers, admins. I, I really, I mean, I've only gone to a handful of these Salesforce events and I probably shouldn't judge them all by the few that I've gone to, which were kind of the, CRM they're focused. All the same. Come on, man. You know, you want to polish up your shoes and get your sport coat on. That, uh, yeah, that's what it means. It <laughs> means getting all dressed up to go and listen about things that have nothing to do with me. I don't get any kind of advanced insight into the inner workings of the development system that I need or want. That's how you can see how your company can be just like Philip Sonicare or just like Burberry. <laughs> What'd you bring well, to drink? <clears throat> Um, actually I am drinking a, an Americano, a, the coffee version of Americano. Um, I thought Americano was coffee. Well, there's a cocktail called Americano too. Oh, okay. It's uh Campari and sweet vermouth, basically a Negroni without the gin. Ah. Great for the summer. Great summer cocktail. Either one, Negroni and, uh, Americano. No, anyway, this is, um, yeah, I'm so coffee. That's what I'm drinking. And I just opened, I got a new shipment from a roaster in Montana called Redbird, Redbird Coffee. Hmm. And it's really good. I'm glad I found them. So coffee from Montana, huh? Yeah, I know. It's weird, huh? Just like, I think it's just a little family business, but they're pretty well known amongst like some of the coffee geeks. And so I ordered one there. One thing that you got to watch when ordering coffee, especially roasted coffee, is that is the shipping price. You know, you never want to order more than like a pound at a time because, you know, once coffee's roasted, it, it goes stale fast. So then now your issue is, you know, the, the cost of the coffee as a ratio to the shipping cost. Sometimes the shipping can be almost as much as the coffee is, and you can end up paying, you know, 25 bucks for a pound of coffee. Mm. But their shipping price is really good. I don't remember how much it was, like five or six bucks, I think. And uh, it was, it's um, pr- or 
priority mail. Yeah. So you get it in like, even though they're in Montana, you get it like two days later. Um, that's really good. Of course, I've been drinking Lavazza for like a few months now. So probably anything is good compared to that. Cause that's always so stale four months usually, but yeah, it was really good. Um, lattes are really good this morning and then I made espresso, uh, and this Americano. Very good. I recommend them and they should sponsor the show. <laughs> So help me understand something. Cause you said coffee from Montana. What, what prevents you from growing your own coffee? Like just as a, just to have a garden full of coffee. So the Arabica coffee bush, shrub tree, whatever it is, um, just does not grow around here. I mean, it really only produces good coffee. Um, there, there are so many requirements. It generally speaking near the equator within maybe five degrees, um, high altitude, you know, you're talking at least, I'm guessing at least five or 6,000 feet, you know, usually shade as well. So you have to have an, it has to be in like basically an undergrowth. Huh. You need to grow in shade. So there's just, it's very hard. There's just so few places that can grow it, which is why it's expensive. Yeah. Yeah. But if anyone could crack the code, you could develop your own Texas coffee. <laughs> yeah. There's a reason that you've never heard of Texas coffee. <laughs> Cause you're not doing it. No, I just don't have the, I don't have physics on my side, man. I don't have the geology on my side. Physics be damned. Hook it up yeah. to the internet. Make it work. Yeah. True. I'm sure you could like somehow simulate, like if you created like a, like a hyperbolic room. Yeah. And that, that and didn't then, stop the pot guys, man. They found a way. And that's what I'm thinking about. Yeah. <laughs> the, you know, the right lights and I'm sure there's some way you could do it. Just would it, you know, would it cost you an arm and a leg? I don't have anything special to drink. I, I, I figured since I was on, I've been on a, such, we've been on such a hiatus here and that's, that's not only been the podcast, but it's been by drinking too. I haven't had any whiskey for the longest time. And so my brother, you got to fix that. Yeah, I do. That's but, unacceptable. <laughs> <laughs> been busy, man, working. Uh, so anyways, my brother, when he, when he got back to the States from, from being overseas, he, um, he's in the army. Um, he, he and his unit went to Jack Daniels and, they bought or they bought a special, you know, cask or barrel, whatever that they all kind of bought into. So it's like a single barrel production just for their unit. And he had given me one of those bottles and I've been saving it and saving it. And so I decided since I've been on a hiatus, I dip into that one. It's really good. So hmm. that's what I have. Nice. And I'm sitting here thinking about my brother now. So yeah, <laughs> I haven't talked to you in a while. Feel bad. Yeah. You should call him. He's been busy, man. If you're listening to this podcast, call me. <laughs> yeah. uh, oh, that's your phone. Oh, oh you, you get to use the bell so phones? you had to get it all out, huh? Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, all right. All right. It's a wrap. It's a wrap. Good day, sir. Good day, sir.